Hi, and welcome to the White Hill podcast series. My name is Roger. I'm one of the pastors here at White Hill, and we're glad that you've chosen to listen to one of the podcast messages today. Our prayer is that you would be challenged and inspired to take the next steps in your journey with God as you listen to this message. If you want to keep in touch with more things that are happening at White Hill, head to our website at whitehill.church and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Enjoy this message now. Our reading this morning is from John 16, verse 1 to 15. So it'll be up on the screen, um, but also encourage you to have your Bibles open if you have them with you this morning. John 16, 1 to 15. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And I've told you this, so when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because of the things I've said. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Thank you, Brad. Good morning, everyone. It is uh, good to be back after being away for a, a week, two week, two weeks and a half. Um, three weeks ago, I thought I'd do the right thing and go and get my COVID booster. Uh, who's had... Oh, I won't ask who's had the COVID booster. Um, but uh, it takes you back to that place where you start to wonder whether the cure is worse than the disease. And uh, I was crook um, for a couple of days in the week. I had fever, I had the shakes, I had headaches, I just went all foggy. And I thought, my goodness, this is the vaccination. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to get when you get it. Anyway, back in medieval times, they had these weird cures as well. Uh, Things like bloodletting, where they'd attach leeches and stuff because they thought they would cure smallpox and uh, the plague and epilepsy. And then they had this thing called uh, trepanation, where they bore a hole in the skull. So, you know, you've got a headache. Okay, let's fix that. Uh, Get the Makita drill out. In. Uh, They would use mercury. and, And the weirdest one is animal dung treatments, you know, ointments made out of animal dung, where they thought that had some medicinal purposes. Well, I didn't have to wait too long, because practically within a week, 
uh, I'm, I'm get up, we're, we'd been through the, the usual rigmarole of the week, I was preaching two weeks ago, I got up, come to church feeling right, um, Megan was a little bit tired and I thought, oh that's alright, it's the end of a busy week for her, and uh, so turned up to church, preached, and then uh, uh, go home, get this text message from my wife who have just done a uh, rat test with a member of our family and it's come back positive. Now you know what that means, don't you? It means the whole family then has to isolate. So I went home and I did a rat test. Yeah, thumbs up, Charlotte. (laughs) So Sunday lunch, we're doing rat tests for lunch. (laughs) And uh, all the rest of our rat tests came back negative. And we thought, oh, that's good, that's good. It's only Charlotte, we'll just lock her away in her bedroom, that won't be hard. Um, and, and then we thought, we better do the right thing and we'll go and get a PCR test. And you know what happened? Every one of us came back positive on the PCR test. Now, I didn't get the PCR results till Monday, but I did do the right thing and isolate. And so Sunday night, two weeks ago, they had to put up with the video of me, uh, not the live version. So I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be live. But isolation is the weirdest thing. Now, if you're tuning in online and you're in ISO, g'day, Rod. (laughs) Rod was supposed to be hosting this morning. He said he was on his way. I hope you don't mind me sharing, Rod. He said he was on his way to church and he was just praying, God, I'm just open to whatever you want. And then he got a call to say, you need to come home. We're COVID positive. Um, So uh, Brad stepping in at late notice. So good on you, Brad. But uh, for those of you that are in ISO, uh, I'm fully uh, empathetic to everything that you go through. Now, I'm an introvert, so ISO is actually not too bad, especially when you're symptomless. Uh, but then the symptoms come on and you start to feel like a dog. And, uh, and then the weirdest thing happens, it's like you're locked away in your house and you start to feel a bit like a leper. <laughs> You know, uh, uh, we had people coming and uh, I was so thankful for our friends that bought us all of these uh, food packages and everything else. Thank you, Julie, for the KFC run. That, that just did me through the week. Um, but I had my neighbour who just lives across the fence come over and she had a pumpkin, wanted to give me a pumpkin. I say, you just need to leave it on the fence and I'll go and pick it up from the fence. Um, but you just feel like everyone's saying, unclean, unclean, and uh, you get left alone. Now, we don't have to have COVID to feel alone, do we? I mean, COVID coined the term ISO for us, but you don't have to have COVID to feel alone. In fact, often before COVID hit, there were lots of times that happened in life that we all experienced at different times, that we felt alone in. Um, Whether it be hospitalizations and sickness, you know, when you're feeling crook as a dog and you're laying in bed, it's not like everyone empathizes and gives you text messages and saying, how are you feeling? Oh, that's so bad. You know, I'm I'm there with you. Uh, Or if you're in hospital and you've got to get surgery done. We don't like... You know, we don't know what to say often to people that when they're in hospital. Uh, it's good to have Richard back. Where are you, Richard? There he is. 
uh, after having his surgery for a couple of weeks, but I'm sure you felt a bit like you're in ISO there after having that surgery. You're laying in the hospital bed, and nowadays you can't get visitors very often. Um, but it's not just sickness. Sometimes you can feel like you're in ISO when you're going through relational struggles. Uh, so many people today go through relationship breakdown that is really painful. And people don't understand the full extent of it, whether it's the sense of confusion or a sense of shame that you might feel. We can feel like we're alone. And it's not just that. You can be displaced from your employment. You can go through grief and loss. You can go through financial hardship. And unless you're a really open sort of a person, we sort of suffer in silence often and we feel like we're alone. And so today as we're continuing our um, studies looking through the book of John, there is a great message this morning that I felt God lay on my heart which tells us that we are never alone when we're with Jesus. We are never alone. So if that doesn't spark your interest, I don't know what will. Um, John, turn to the book of John in your Bibles. We're going to be looking over the next couple of weeks over the passages from about chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 is the high priest prayer. But all of these chapters appear in this final meeting that Jesus has with his disciples. It's the upper room. He's celebrating the Passover with them. He's done the whole foot washing thing in chapter 13. And then he gets to his disciples in chapter 14, which we looked at a little last week. And he says to them, don't be troubled. Now, if he's saying to the disciples, don't be troubled, what were they worried about? Well, what they were worried about very clearly was that for the last three years, they had walked and they had eaten, they had dined with Jesus, they had gone through all sorts of trials, they had seen miraculous things happen with the sick healed, uh, the lame could walk, the blind could see, they had been through life-threatening events, they'd been in the storm on the Sea of Galilee, thought that they were going to die, and then Jesus calms the storm. They had gone through the feeding of the 5,000 plus. They had seen all of those things. And now as we come into these last meetings, Jesus says to them, well, it was great to know you. I'm out of here. <laughs> and there was a sense of confusion as to what was going on. What was Jesus saying that he was leaving them? Why, why would he leave them? They're, they've got so much more to do, so much more to accomplish. And for the disciples, they're in turmoil inside because here they were, had this great relationship. It's like going to uni with a bunch of uni friends and maybe living on campus together or shared house. And all of a sudden, it's been called to an end. Now, they had given up their careers. They had left their jobs to become students and their entire faith walk had been uh, turned upside down and transformed. And now Jesus says that he's going to be separated from them. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. In fact, they should look forward to it, that they're going to be persecuted as well at some point in the future. 
And so we get to chapter 14 and verse 1, and Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So what is Jesus going to say to them over these next few chapters that tells them and gives them assurance that they don't have to be troubled? Well, next week, Julie's going to come and share with us a bit more from chapter 15. But today, I want to survey a little bit this message that comes through these chapters. So it starts there in chapter 14. Now, something we need to understand, and I might just read this verse, these verses first. In 14, verses 16 and 17, it says these words. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, prior to this moment, they hadn't heard much about the Holy Spirit coming through at this point. But here, Jesus says that he's about to leave them, but he's going to send them someone else who is going to be with them. Now, there is a real contrast that's about to take place here. Because whilst Jesus was with them, Jesus was in the form of a man. And as a man, he's fully localized. I will have a conversation with one person after church, but I can't have a conversation with 200. I can only be in one place. I can't be in five different places. And so whilst Jesus, who is there in the form of a man, comes with all of the limitations of that, limited in time, location, and in interactions. His whole work is localized around himself. Something dramatic is about to take place. There is a massive change about to happen. And Jesus says he's going to go, and then he's going to send the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come and to be with the disciples, to be with all believers. Now, the coming of the Holy Spirit would bring the dawn of a new age. And we read about it as we go into the book of Acts after the death and resurrection at Pentecost. But here, Jesus is going to lay the foundation for what happens. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will be with every believer all the time, not localized, not limited in the way he's able to connect with believers. Now, Ephesians, 3, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, actually gives us a, a greater in-depth part of this. And have a look at what it says. And you also were included with Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So that is, we hear the gospel preached that Jesus died for sins, came to save us, we believe, become a believer. But what happens then? He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So what it says here basically is that when we commit ourselves to following Jesus, when we believe the gospel, we believe Jesus died on the cross for us, we place our trust in him, there is something radical that happens at that moment. God sends his Holy Spirit to be with us, to dwell in us. 
It is not localized. It is not limited. We, in fact, as it says here, the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That is, everyone who has believed receives the Holy Spirit at that moment and it becomes like a seal. Now, that goes back to olden times where they used to put wax and things on a letter and then seal it. It was done. It was sealed. It was secure. The Holy Spirit is given to us. Now, this was a revolutionary concept for the disciples because when we look through the Old Testament times, we see that the Spirit existed in the Old Testament times, obviously, because the Holy Spirit is eternal, the third person of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came on people in specific times, in specific locations for specific people, and generally only for a season. And so when we read about King David, for example, after he sins and commits adultery with Bathsheba, murders Uriah, he prays his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51, and he says there, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He was afraid that the Holy Spirit would depart from him and no longer be with him. And that happens through some of the circumstances where the Spirit of God actually departs from those people who were serving God because they were in sin. Now, fast forward to New Testament times, the Holy Spirit is given to us very differently. The Holy Spirit is given to us once and for all. You cannot be a believer and not have the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Ephesians 4.30, when we sin, we don't need to be afraid that God is going to disappear from our lives. In 4.30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The seal is not removed, but when we sin, instead of God departing from us, God has to be there with us, and God is just grieved when we are sinning. In other words, when we do the wrong things, when we uh, swear, when we are dishonest, when we, uh, well, you fill in the gap. Whatever it is in our lives that we do that is against God, it's like we are dragging God with us into that environment. And the scriptures just say that God is just grieved as he comes along with us. Now, I get really concerned over this doctrine because so many believers are confused about this. We think that we need to continually pray that God would be present. The truth is that wherever we are, God is with us present. That's why Jesus is able to promise in the Great Commission to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to all nations, making disciples of all, and surely I am with you till the very end of the age. He is with us through the Spirit of Christ, through the Holy Spirit. With the rise of Pentecostalism uh, in the last century, there rose a teaching about a second blessing that separated the Holy Spirit's coming to believers 
from our salvation. But as we've seen here, you cannot be a believer because we get sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But so often I hear believers pray, Holy Spirit, you, we welcome you here tonight. As if the Holy Spirit needed an invitation or needed our invitation or permission. This is God Almighty that is present with us. Some people pray, Holy Spirit, come now and fill us. I'm thinking, was God not present in your life? Do you need to give your life to Christ? Or some people say, we call on or recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit tonight. If you are there, the Holy Spirit is there with you, always. Cannot be taken away, won't be taken away. With every person who believes, the Spirit indwells us permanently. There are no exceptions. 1 Corinthians 6, 19a says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? The Holy Spirit indwells us, lives with us. And that's why it's so important that we recognize that because that enables us to have the sort of intimacy with God that we all long for. But sometimes we just don't recognize that God is with us. And then you look at the next verse there. Romans 8, 15, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received past tense, with a present continuous effect, brought you your adoption to sonship. In other words, the coming of the Spirit joins you and connects you into God's family. You are a part of the family. The Spirit we receive makes us part of the family. We are sons and daughters of the living God. When I was uh, turning 50, which was in my recent past, um, I asked for a present that would turn most people white. I asked my wife uh, to give me an experience uh, in skydiving. Um, now, when I posted uh, things on Facebook about going skydiving, one person said, User moi moi nutsen, nutsen. Another person posted, this was my mother in law, you didn't want to reach 51? <laughs> Another one said, What a way to celebrate. The adrenaline would be flowing fast and furious. And then another person was quite honest. They said, I'm glad I'm a spectator. Um, now, it was really interesting. I'd never been skydiving before, but heard lots about it. And so you rock up at the skydiving center. Now, how much preparation would you like to receive to go skydiving? You know, a couple of hours intro lesson, maybe a couple of demo videos, stuff like that. We had about 15 minutes. Uh, so we rocked up. They said, okay, here's your jumpsuit. You know, so we got our jumpsuits on and, and then they put up our harness, and then they gave us a couple of quick instructions, and uh, that was it. Now, 
my instructor who was going with me, it was a tandem jump, uh, he had a really interesting way of preparing us. He asked everyone, you know, how many times have you been skydiving before? And uh, I said, none. And he said, me too. <laughs> but then I, then I looked at him like, uh, I was already packing it a little bit by this point. Uh, you know, on the outside, you know, you have the facade, you know, I'm brave. You know, you can see me smiling in that photo. But right there, my stomach is just churning around thinking, my goodness, is it too late to bail? Um, and and uh, I, I said to him, I said, seriously, how many times have you skydived before? And he said he stopped counting at a thousand. And I thought, well, well, that was that gave me a little bit of insurance that he knew what he was doing. But then we loaded on to the skydiving plane. Now, again, you can see, if you look carefully at my face, it's like... <gasps> I'm putting on a fake smile for the, for the photo here as they take it. We got into this plane. It had no seat belts. In fact, it had no seats. And so we're sitting on the floor in the plane, back of the plane. Now, these planes are designed to climb rapidly to 14,000 feet because they want to save fuel. So it was not like, you know, sitting back in your Qantas seat and tray tables are stored and everything else and then you cruise up. This was like you're out on the runway and all of a sudden we're going almost vertical, climbing to 14,000 feet. Now, there is no door on the back of the plane, just like this plastic sheet, hard plastic sheet that they pulled out. That goes along. There were some other people on the plane that were skydivers and they had those, what do you call them, like the bat suits. And uh, one by one, they disappeared out the door and I'm, I'm looking out the door and there's nothing there. Um, and, and we're at 14,000 feet at this point. By this point, my butterflies in my stomach had turned to the butter churn. And uh, I'm thinking, is it too late to bail? Is it, is it? My heart was pounding so loud, I thought they could hear it on the ground. Um, but uh, here I am, I'm on the plane. Now, by this point, you can see my instructor sitting behind me. He's now clipped me into him and he starts pulling on the straps and tightening them up and he said, now the best thing you can probably do is just hang on to your straps. And I'm thinking, yeah, uh, but, but what's that going to do? <laughs> you know, it's not like going up to the escalator where you hold on to the handrail. It's not like climbing a ladder where you've got the rungs that, you know, you know are planted on the ground or even working on the roof when you've got the safety harness with the cable attached to the house. Um, there is nothing. Now, we were the last ones out of the plane other than the pilot. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm sitting on the edge and he says, now just lean over a little bit. Uh, put your legs outside and I'm looking down and I'm thinking there's nothing there and uh, uh, as he said lean over he said okay and then we just rolled forward and I'm thinking heck there's nothing there <laughs> now you see those images on telly where the face is flapping in and I, I, my mouth is open because it's like unless you close your mouth but there's no flies up at that altitude 
But it was just the most bizarre. And then I knew he was taking the camera, so I go to the next one. I thought, okay, I better try and put on a smile. <laughs> but it was the most bizarre thing and the ultimate faith test because I'm thinking we're free-falling here and that ground is coming up really quickly. But we weren't the ones that had to pull the chute. Now go to the next slide. Um, you can see uh, he's pulled the chute and, uh, and then we had the most graceful landing. They teach us how to do the butt landing. In other words, they say when we're coming in, just lift up your feet and we'll just land on our butts and slide along. And that's how, that's how they do skydiving. It was over in about 30 seconds, but I tell you, it was the biggest adrenaline rush that I've ever had. And then they get to the ground and they said, you want to go again? <laughs> I didn't go again. <laughs> I was thinking about it, but uh, then the bill came and I said, oh no, no, we, we won't go again. Once is enough. You know, as we look and as we understand what it is like to be an ISO and to go through all of the struggles that we go through, it's like for us, the Holy Spirit is strapped to us now and connected to us. Uh, we go through life, we go through really great trauma in so many different ways. But to know that God is with us at each of those points, we know with Jesus, we are never alone. Now, when you jump out of a plane, you want some assurance. And for me, having the assurance of a guy attached to my back who had done it like a thousand times before was a good assurance. As we get into the rest of these passages, I want to just quickly go through how the Holy Spirit works in our lives and in the world. There are three major aspects to the ministry of the Holy Spirit described in the passage that we had read for us. The first is that the Holy Spirit ministers to the world. So in John 16, 8 to 11, it says three things, basically. It says that the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts the world about three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, particularly, this is the whole general populace that the Holy Spirit comes to do. He convicts of sin, that is, to know what is right and wrong, to feel that sense of guilt and burden when we do the wrong thing. He convicts about righteousness, that is, what is, what is it to be right and holy and good? And the third thing is about judgment, that eventually the world is going to be judged, that the world stands condemned. Now, the word here that's written as prove in the NIV is actually probably not, not a strong enough word. The word here is a legal term, and it's to pronounce a judicial verdict, basically, to basically explain the guilt of the culprit at the bar of justice. So it's not merely to accuse men of their sin, but bringing, to that, bringing people to that place of inescapable guilt where we know the wrong thing has been done. The second thing that he does is for disciples in uh, John 16, 13 to 14, he talks about the spirit of truth coming, that the spirit will guide us, that he will give us direction 
and also understanding of the truth of his word. That is, the Spirit will speak only what he hears. In other words, bring conviction about God's word. And that he will also lastly then glorify Christ in who Christ is. Now, we don't have time to go into all of those things in detail. If you want to go into those things in detail, come along and sign up to the Foundations course, which we're doing in Term 2, because that's where we're going to be doing a deep dive into so much of what we believe in our theology and in our Bibles. It'll give us a bit more time to go through systematically through all of the doctrines and understanding that we have. But the last point I wanted to teach you, and it's the most important point of this message, is that the Spirit is our paraclete. Now, if you've never heard that word before, that's okay. It's a Greek word. In John 16, 7, this is what it says. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. Now, the word for advocate here, uh, there is no single word in our language that really expresses the rich, powerful meaning of what that word is. It is the Greek word paraclete. You may have heard it before. It comes from a composite of two words. One, para, the whole idea of coming alongside, and kletos, which is the root for calling out. So it's like calling one to our side or called to one side. It's used uh, in lots of different senses. It's used one in the sense of being a comforter. So in other words, when we're feeling alone, the Holy Spirit is there alongside us as our comforter, as the one who cares for us. When all else might abandon, the Spirit is there. Secondly, it's used in the sense of courts of justice, of being a legal assistant or counsel for our defence. In other words, the Spirit comes and is one who pleads our case. And we read in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that cannot be understood. And lastly, the word paraclete is also described in one book as being a warrior's term. For Greek soldiers, when they went into battle, they went in pairs. So when the enemy attacked, they could fight back to back. In other words, there was someone covering their blind side. And so uh, as they came in into a battle, the person's battle partner was called a paraclete. So that was the role and position. And so it's uh, all of that meaning is so important for us as we go through life in the Christian walk to know that we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit strapped to us. He's not getting unstrapped in midair. Praise the Lord. Um, He is with us permanently. He is a seal for our inheritance, that is our salvation, And so he will stay with us from this point, the point at which we trust in Christ, to the point when we die and we go to glory. He will be with us forever. There is no escaping. But he's not just there as like an impersonal force or a rubber stamp. 
He's there as the third person of the Trinity, with his personality, with all the characteristics of God. He is God. And he does not leave us alone. He does not leave us to suffer in solitude or in ISO. And so whilst many people, as they go through the trials of life, might feel like they're in ISO, for those of us that are believers, we must never think that we are in ISO. We are never isolated or alone. Because if you've placed your trust in Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is always with us. The Spirit will not leave us. He will not abandon us, but he is there for all time. There is a great photo I didn't show you earlier. It's not a great photo, but it shows you an interesting photo where I'm strapped in that free fall as we're going down. And you can see there the parachute opening above, but it's the instructor on my back who has got my back. He's looking up. He's deploying the parachute. He is in control. And there at that point, he's reaching up and he's about to grab the direction handle of the parachute to make sure that we are steered in the right direction to make sure we come into landing in the right way. As you journey through life with all of its trials and struggles, with all of its difficulties that we have in the Christian walk, the most important truth that we can have and hold is that God is always with us that he will never leave us or abandon us. We are never alone as believers. We are never in isolation. And may God bless us this week as we go with that knowledge. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing truth that we are never alone. From the point in which we first heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying on the cross for us and believed, it was at that point that we received your Holy Spirit. Your Spirit came on us as the seal of our inheritance, of our eternity. He came upon us to indwell us so that we are never alone as we go through the Christian walk through all the trials that we may face, through all the difficulties of this life, you are never far away. You are there with us, going with us through all of these things. Father, as we head out into our weeks, as we again go through various trials and difficulties, Father, may we walk through with the comfort of knowing that your spirit is with us and that we are indeed never alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you live locally here in the Ipswich region, we would love to invite you to come and join us in person uh, here at one of our Sunday gatherings at Whitehill. Uh, for more information on our services or our ministries, head on over to our website at whitehill.church. If you're interested also in taking next steps in your relationship with Jesus, please also at our website, hit the connect button and let us know where you're at. We would love to catch up with you either over a coffee or on a phone call to chat with you about where you're at. We hope you've enjoyed watching this message and we pray that God would continue to bless you as you seek to seek him in your daily life. God bless.